Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the truth that you are worthy. We, we read a glimpse of what you gave to Isaiah, and I, and I can often find myself envying him and thinking, oh, if only I could get a glimpse. But the truth is you've done so much better than that for us. That you have revealed yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. That he has made the invisible God visible and we get to walk with him. And then you've done even better than that in that because of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, your spirit came to live inside us, to indwell us individually, to unite us corporately, that we would get a taste of heaven in this place. We get a greater glimpse of you than Isaiah ever dreamed. Lord, may we appreciate that and may it move us to be on mission for you. Lord, we are here to make you known. As we continue to learn about you and worship you in the word now, Lord, I pray that it would have the end result of moving us to that end. That we are a sent people because you are a sending God. Lord, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your truth now in the power of your spirit and in the beautiful, majestic, and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we all pray these things together, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat if you would, and good morning. We are in starting this series through the Gospel of John that's called Sent to Make Disciples. And the question is, what does that mean? Another question is, what would that look like? And another question would be, are we living that way? And I'm just going to jump right into it. I've never been much into um, doing a lot of like build up and ex explanation about what the book is that we're going to start, um, mostly because if you're really that interested, there's a lot of background that you can get um, in um, your little super study Bibles that you have or going online. So I'm not going to do a ton of background, but I will unfold a little bit of the Gospel of John um, as we go along in this series. Um, but the premise of this study comes out of John 20, 21. And it says this, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so also I send you. That is the premise of the study. That's, that's often been called John's great commission. If you remember, Matthew writes in, in the end of his gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, verse 28, 19, and 20, or chapter 28, 19, and 20, Matthew says it this way. He says, Therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Well, John summarizes that in Jesus' words of saying, As the Father sent me, so I send you. We're going to look at this not just on Sundays, but throughout our life groups and throughout, our, throughout just our conversation, even during fellowships, this fellowship meal. This should be more than just um, Sunday experiences for us. This is, this is to be um, lived out in our church body 24-7. And so you're going to hear a ton about sending, not just on Sundays, but also in our core groups, our elective groups, um, and just in casual conversation, hopefully as well. We pray that it would become part of just our vernacular as a church family. Now we're going to look a lot even this morning and throughout the study at what the word sent means, but the other tagline is sent to make disciples. So I want to take a minute and just say, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does the word disciple mean? It's kind of a churchy word. It's, a, I mean, it's in the Bible, obviously, but we don't often know what that means. All disciple really means is learner or follower or pupil. Okay, so Jesus was not the only one that had disciples. 
John the Baptist had disciples. Paul had disciples. I'll let you in a little secret. ISIS, that terrorist organization, has disciples. Right? The idea behind being a disciple is that you become like the one you're following. That's really what the word means. Now, for the purpose of our study, sent to make disciples, we're talking about Christian disciples, so we're going to use this definition. Discipleship is the process of helping someone on their faith journey from unbeliever to multiplying follower of Jesus. So our, our definition of discipleship for us, because we're Christians, is, is to help someone on their faith journey from an unbeliever through becoming a multiplying believer in Christ. That's the phrase discipleship. It would include evangelism. It would include body life. It would include all of it. The bottom line is it's, it's how we are called to live as Christians. right? We, we use Christian in this country like it's a title. It's not meant to be a title. It's meant to be a lifestyle. Right? It's, it's not meant to just be a label that we put on each other or on other people. It's meant to be our life. Christians should, should define how we live. It shouldn't be the next thing that we have listed after um, our, on our resume as a box that we checked off. John, in in um, Luke 6.40, Paul, or Jesus defines discipleship very, very plainly. In Luke 6.40, he says that a disciple will never be above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, when he's been fully discipled, he will be like his teacher. In, in his letter, um, the, the apostle that wrote the Gospel of John, in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, if you're taking notes, 1 John 2, 6, John actually puts it this way. He says, anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And that's why I'm so excited about this study, because what we're going to do, Lord willing, over the next 30 plus weeks, is we're going to walk with Jesus and just see how he lived his life. And, and keep in mind the whole time going, and, and if by the commands of Scripture that I just quoted, that's how we're to live our lives. So today's message is entitled, Sent to Send Us To. Sent to Send Us To. On the back of your connecting points, and, and Dan did a great job of sort of explaining some of the changes that are coming with this series, on the back of the connecting points, there are two questions that I'm going to ask you to think about at the end of the message, and so I want, I want to refer to them now so you're thinking about them as we go along. Under the, under the bottom section called where it says, Reacting to His Will, there are two questions. One says, What is the Spirit saying to you through this teaching? And the next question is, What is Jesus asking you to do about it? So as we spend the next 30, 35 minutes in the Word, I would ask you to be thinking about those questions. What is the Spirit saying to you? What is He saying to your heart right now? He's a person. He's real. He lives inside you if you're a believer in Jesus. And what is Jesus asking you to do about what the Spirit is telling you? Now here's the question for the day. So here's what we're going to answer by the end of the day. Do you believe that we are, on a sent, that we are sent on a mission to make disciples? And rather than start in John 1, we'll be there next week, Lord willing, we're going to start towards the end of the gospel. So open your Bibles up to John chapter 20. John is in your New Testament. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get to Acts, you've gone too far. John chapter 20. We're going to start at the end because this passage that we're looking at does two things. One, it's where we get the flavor for the study. That as the Father sent me, so, he, so, he, so I am sending you. But he also, John also tells the whole reason he wrote his gospel in the passage we're going we're gonna to get to by the end. So let's look at our first 
question as we look at, let's look at our first point as we look at this question, do we really believe we are on a mission to make disciples, that we've been sent by God? So we are sent to see his spirit's power work through us. So we're going to pick it up in verse 19 of John 20 and see how we are sent to see his power work through us. The only background I'm going to give you other than what I've already shared about this is this is after the crucifixion. So Jesus has been crucified. He has risen again. They have seen the empty tomb and they don't know where he went. But he has not ascended to heaven yet. And now here's where we pick it up. So we pick up the story here. In verse 19 it says, So when it was evening in that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, so they had locked themselves up in the upper room, it says, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will be forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, their sins have been retained. There's a few words in this passage that stand out, so I'm going to point them all out here. The first one is, three times in the passage we're going to look at today, twice in what I just read, Jesus says, peace be with you. What's, why? why? Why does he start with that? Well, because they're afraid. They're worried. They're fearful. Does that sound like anybody you know sometimes? Me. You. Right? But, but the question is, in that moment, what do we do? In, the, in that moment, when they're in the upper room, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go, they don't know where he went, what do we do in that moment? That's what tells us what we think about God. That's what tells us where our faith is. I, I struggle with that. I mean, I will wake up sometimes in the middle of the night, half my brain going, be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks. And in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to God, make your, let your request be made known to God, and then I'm going to hold on to this promise, God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be mine in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. And the other half of my brain is going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. My life. Right? Whatever's going on. That's where they were. They were in that struggle of, yeah, but, what's going to happen now? Are they going to come get us too? He gives us his peace. We just have to keep pursuing it. Right? He is there. He is with us. He, know, he knew then that they needed peace. He knows that we do too. Second word that stands out is sent. I said we're going to talk a little bit about this. Sent. Sent is, just the, is the Greek word apostello, where we get the word apostle. Sent one. Right? And all, here's what it means, though. Here's what the word sent. So when he says, as the Father sent me, I send you, here's what he's saying. That word means this. To cause to go to an appointed place for an appointed purpose. To go to an appointed place at an appointed time for an appointed purpose. It's very intentional is the point. So we're sent, not just willy-nilly, we're sent specifically. And that's one of the things that the Experiencing God study that we did this summer helped us see. That God is always at work around us, and he has a desire for us to join him in that work. And he's telling us, right here it is, are you ready? Are you going to step out of that crisis of belief and adjust your life to God and see him bless you in being obedient? That was the summer study in a nutshell. Right. So this idea of being sent is throughout the Gospel of John. I, I want to make sure that we start with the premise of he was sent by the Father. 
So keep your finger where we're at here in John chapter 20, but turn back to John chapter 5. So go to the left of where we are, just a few pages, to John chapter 5 and verse 30. And I just want to, Jesus was sent... He's part of the triune Godhead. He has always been God. It's the Trinity. It's beyond our full comprehension. But God the Father sent God the Son. And we're going to look at just a couple of quick verses. We're going to fly through them. So in John 5, 30, look what it says. It says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now turn to John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work that God, this is the work of God, that you believe, remember that word, in him who he has sent. Now, in the interest of time, jump down to verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I will lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. So the word sent is very prevalent there. The word believe is also, hang on to that. We're going to get to that towards the end of the message. Turn to, turn to John eight forty two. He's talking to a bunch of um, self-righteous people. In this case, it was Pharisees, but it could be us. And he says this in John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. But I have not even come on my own initiative, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you do not, you cannot hear my word. Now jump last place to John 10, 17. John 10, 17 and 18. Because I don't want you to think, wait a second though, didn't... Didn't God, wasn't Jesus always God? Didn't Jesus have full power and authority over his own life as part of this triune Godhead? Absolutely. So if you look at verses 17 and 18, he said, just to clarify that point, that he was sent by the Father, but he was still in control. It says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This commandment I have received from my Father. So some of this is beyond our understanding. How does the triune Godhead, in these distinct roles, how does one of them get sent and still have complete authority as God? The answer is, I don't know, except he's God. And that's what made him a sufficient, an all-sufficient sacrifice. So jump back to John 20, where I left you, and let's take a look at what, is this, what does it mean, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you? So we, now we see, he was sent by God. Well, there are some, but, but Jesus takes it this way. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Three quick things that stick out to me about how he is sending us. One of them, he was sent for, and I want to get this out of the way right up front. One of the reasons he was sent, the biggest reason he was sent, was to take away the sins of the world. That is not like us. He is sending us not to take away sins. Only he could do that. But he was sent to take away our sins. In 1 John 4.10, it says, if this is, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That just means the satisfaction, the appeasement. 
the payment. But here are two ways that he was sent, and it's like us. He was sent spirit-led. We'll see this in the Gospel of John. Over and over, he was led by the Spirit. And he prays towards the end of his life, he prays this, I and them and you and me, that they would be perfected in unity so that the world will know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. He's saying, just like you are in me, Father, and I am in you, be in them. Spirit-filled, spirit-led. The third way, again, is like us, to make disciples. In that same chapter in John 17, we'll look at it in detail, Lord willing, sometime this spring, he says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, part of that was the, is the cross. He knew he was going to the cross. But what else had Jesus done in his 30-plus years here? He had poured himself into 12 men. Guys, we got to understand this. God's only plan for taking the gospel to the world was multiplying life on life on life. It was not a government system. It was not a military system. It was not to usher in some, some sort of world power that was going to lead people to the gospel. That was not Jesus' plan. He picked 12 men, and he said, follow me, and I will teach you how to teach others how to follow me. That was his whole plan for taking the gospel to the world. That ought to tell us how important it is for us to fulfill that plan. When he says in, in verse 4 of John, I have accomplished the work you've given me to do. Guys, I want you to stop and think about this for a minute and look at those words again. I have accomplished the work you've given me to do. When you get to the end of your days, not so very long from now, for some of us, really for all of us, in the, in the grand scheme of eternity. Will that be said of you? Would you want that said of you? I have accomplished, Father, I have accomplished the work you have given me to do. I, I pray that that will be said of me. Look at your, what we are now calling being in community. It used to be called the growth spurt. Right, we, on the back of your connecting points, there's a thing, it's called, it used to be called the growth spurt. It's still the so what, but we're focusing on, we have connecting to Christ, being in community, engaging in the call. So we're looking at what does it look like to the so what together, lived out together. So look at what it says. It says, the call to go and make disciples is for everyone. We are all supposed to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. But this doesn't mean it looks the same for everyone. As the body of Christ, we are all meant to be on mission by exercising our gift mix in the family of God. Sent doesn't necessarily mean alone or individually. We are sent into the world as the ecclesia to shine his gospel light together. If you are not connected to Cornerstone by being in a life group or need help discovering how your gifting can use to be glorified, the one who gave it to you, visit our website, go to the connecting table in the back, um, or contact a leader directly. Let's be on mission together as he sends us to go and make disciples. Guys, that's not just a commercial for being in life groups or being connected. That's the, the whole reason we have life groups, the whole reason we have ministry teams that even, get, even gather here together at 7.30 in the morning to help and, and have fellowship together as they're setting up is because there is power in community, right? That, that we can't be on this mission by ourselves, not effectively, we will be far more effective on the mission if we go together. 
couple other things stand out to me that I want to point out quick as we look at this sent by the power of his spirit. So the first thing is, what's this whole deal in verse 22? So I don't know where I left you, but back in, in John 22, when he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What in the world is that about? Right, I mean, picture the scene. He's up there with his, his they're afraid. He comes, in the, he, he comes into the room through a locked door, and he says, and he breathes on, says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there are lots of things going on here that I'm not going to spend time talking about today. But the big thing is, is that he is showing them that there is, there is a, what, what, what I've taught on here many times, called the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. That he tells his disciples in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you. So he's he's giving them this picture of my spirit is going to empower you. This is just a preview to what's going to happen at Pentecost, among other things. And then he says, and then he also goes on to say, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. And that's what happens after Acts 8, 1-8, when he, when he shares that with him. He says in Acts 2 and Acts 4, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The bottom line is, these guys were in desperate need of some encouragement, of some power beyond themselves. And, and we are too. The first thing that we need to be effective in ministry, the, the first thing that we need to be powerfully sent is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, Guys, I'm just knocking on someone's door or knocking on the door of their heart, just dug. And I ain't got no power. Don't talk like that, kids. Right? <laughs> Apart from the Spirit of the living God living in us, empowering us, we have no power. It is a, it is a, if, if you're, and hopefully you are, you're doing the daily readings, or I would so encourage you, if you have not done so, get on our website and sign up for the reading and responding to the Word. You go to our website page, it's on the bulletin, it's all over the place. Sign up for reading and responding to the word because it will, you're only getting a fraction of what this, today's message should be about. And those emails, those daily readings um, will help flesh out the rest of it. Right? For example, tomorrow's reading is in Luke 24. Same scene we're looking at now. Luke records him breathing on them as he says it this way. And he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. Well, you'll read about that tomorrow. What does that look like? What does that mean? How does that apply to us? Guys, another great picture of breathing life into is, and you'll, this again is one of the daily readings this week. In Ezekiel chapter 37, it's the vision of the dry bones, for those of you that are familiar with it. And, and God says, you know, it's the Spirit of the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. And the bones come together and it says, but there was no life in them. And then at the very end of that passage that you'll read this week, it says, and so he said, prophesy over the bones and breathe life into them. The word breath there and spirit are the same word in Hebrew. He is saying, breathe my spirit into them. And guess what Ezekiel sees? And the bones came to life. That's what we're living in now. That's the age we're in. It is the fulfillment of him breathing into us and turning dry bones into life and power. But we've got to live in that spirit power. So one, we're sent to see his spiritual power work through us. The second point is this. We're sent seeing with spiritual eyes. We're sent seeing with spiritual eyes. So look at verse 24. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of his nails I put my hand, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. Now hang on a second. So get the picture. Thomas is not in the room the first time Jesus appears. Jesus waits a week and reappears. In the meantime, Thomas is trying to rattle his friends back to reality. Right? We call him Doubting Thomas. They were all doubting. How do I know they were all doubting? Because they're still in the room with the door locked. He breathed on them. Jesus breathed on them and said, As, I send, as the Father sent me, I send you. Here's the Holy Spirit. And they're sitting in the room with the door locked. Why? Because they're still afraid. They're still doubtful. And Thomas is just vocal enough to say it. Now, I want another little commercial here for those of you that, if you got one, the Connect. Any of you have a Kids Connect? Hold it up. Thank you. So we're, we're working on um, getting the Kids Connect redone in, in a format, and we'll kind of unfold more of it next week as we go into the series. But I want to take a minute and point out, because this is the scene the Kids Connect is on. Is talking about. However, what I want to point out is parents don't, that's not just for the kids. There is inform, part of why we have, we believe in multi generational faithfulness. Most of our kids are in the room with us on purpose. It's because we believe that God has charged parents to disciple their children. Now, what we feel our call is, is to provide them resources to make that happen. And so by the grace of God and him bringing some people along um, that are really good at this sort of thing, we are giving you guys resources to continue the conversation as a family with your kids, including how to engage in the call to make disciples. So there's a lot of great information in there specific about, in this case, the lesson is about this part of the passage. But it's important for us to be discipling our kids. Here, back to, so back, that, was, that was a commercial for why we do church the way we do church. Back to the message. Did Jesus know Thomas was going to be gone the first time that he went in the room? Yeah. Did Jesus know Thomas would be there the second time? So what's going on here? What, what is it? Like, what, why? Jesus, why don't you just wait till they're all there and skip the week? Again, there's lots of reasons, but one of them is he is setting them up, which he did often. Guys, he did. I mean, he, he was a big fan of teachable moments, and he was a big fan of creating them. And he is creating a teachable moment here to teach not just them, but us. So let's look and see what, we, what he's teaching them. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it in my side. It's almost as if he's like, Thomas, I heard what you said. You might think I wasn't here, but I heard every word. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm, I'm telling you, I saw you do it, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out your error, and then I'm going to point out my grace. And and that's kind of what we as parents do often too, right? Like, you know, like you, you look and you go, you say, you know, so something's broken and you saw your kid break it. And it's something that they didn't, they weren't supposed to touch. And you say, did you break that? And they're like, and you say, no, wait a minute, before I hear your answer, I want you to know something. I saw you break it. Did you break that? No. <laughs> what? I saw you do it. Yeah, but why, do we go, but why do we go to all that trouble? Why don't we just pound them for breaking it? Because there's a teachable moment there. That's way bigger than whatever it was they broke. 
that's what Jesus is doing to Thomas. He's like, I, I, I saw you do it. I'm telling you I saw you do it, and I'm going to prove I saw you do it by using your own words back at you. But get this, here's what he's really teaching. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Guys, he's saying to them, here's the choice. Guys, here is the choice of life. Do not be unbelieving, be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen, have you believed? Blessed are all those who did not see and yet believed. Guys, the beauty of the last part of that passage, we're going to come back to the believe part in a minute, but is that's our age. When he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, he's talking about us. Blessed are we who believe, even though we have not physically seen the risen Christ. I've used this quote many times. If you've never written it down, I'd encourage you to. Faith is the battlefield where the world and the word wage war for our will. Faith, Thomas's faith, the disciples' faith, Peter's faith, your faith. The ability to believe. Do we believe he is who he says he is? Do we believe he will do what he says he's going to do? Do we believe he's coming back in power and glory? That fight happens every day in every one of our hearts. It is the war. Because the word tells us the truth and the world screams something different. All the time, all the time, all the time. It never stops. That's why we got to get our nose in the book. Last point. We are sent believing that death, comes that death becomes life in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what the scene with Thomas, here's what the setup leads to. Jesus orchestrated this whole event to this point of be don't be unbelieving, but believing. Now here's how John ends this passage. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not even written in this book. So he's now talking about the whole gospel, because again, we started at the end. Next week, we're going to jump back to the beginning. Look at verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you would have life in his name. This is the key verse to the entire Gospel of John. These things are written that you might have life. Right? That's it. That's the whole point. The, the reason John wrote his Gospel is that we would come to know who Jesus is. We would see how he lived. We would believe in him as our personal Lord and Savior. We would believe that he is returning again. We would believe that he has sent his Spirit and that it would supernaturally change us and empower us. Eternal life for sure and life right now. John is where, the Gospel of John is where Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. He wants to bless us now and then. So what does believe mean? Because it's kind of a big deal. Right? This idea of believe. And this is how we're going to wrap things up as we get ready to go into a time of prayer. Believe is just the word pistio in Greek. It's, it's a version of the word that we translate faith. Pistis in Greek is translated faith. They translate it believe here because we have no verb for the word faith in English. 
Faith is a noun. Have faith. Right? So what, what is really being said here, what Jesus is really saying here is that when he says, when he says in that believing you would have life in his name, and then he's saying by faithing, by having faith, you would have life in me. You would have life in his name. Guys, but this isn't just, believing isn't just like, yeah, okay, I've read the book and I understand and I've checked my box. It is actually this idea of laying down your life. It is this idea of being fully in. It is, it is, um, it is to completely trust and entrust yourself to someone else. That's what believe means here. Look at your engaging in the call. Engaging in the call is what we used to call the engagement zone. It's sort of now what are we going to do with all of this? It says, what must a person do to be saved? Well, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Powerful words spoken by the Savior as he goes out to those to whom he is sent. That is the question of life then, isn't it? Are, you, are we believing or unbelieving? Guys, get this. All of human history and our eternity hangs on the answer to that question. All of human history throughout the ages has hung on this truth. Do we believe Jesus is? And then the question becomes, and if we do, what do we do about it? Does that not show us the importance of fulfilling his sending call to see unbelievers come to saving faith in Christ? Guys, Paul put it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, there's that word, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But what do we need to believe? Well, we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the promised one. He is the fulfillment of every promise in this book. That's the first thing that we need to believe. The second thing is we need to believe that he is the Son of God. We need to believe that he isn't just a good moral man who came and taught some good things. We need to believe that he is God. He is deity. He is perfect. Otherwise, the sacrifice on his cross is insufficient. So we need to believe that he is the Christ, that he is the fulfillment of the promises, and that he is the Son. And what does this believing bring? It brings life. What does it bring? It brings, and by believing, you have life in his name. Guys, there's, that last little thing is too important for me not to share. In his name. It actually means that you have, by the means of his name, the power to believe. You have, by the means of his name, the power to live. There is power in the name of Jesus. Guys, the name of Jesus is what makes demons flee. It's not just believing that in some historical... James tells us, even the demons believe and tremble. You know what they don't do? They don't confess his name. Because they're terrified of it. We need to speak the name of Jesus Christ as a people. To be on mission for him. Because Paul tells us, so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he tells us why any of that matters. He says, because in the heart, the person believes, this is, verse 10, this is Romans 10.10, 10, the heart, 
the person believes, resulting in righteousness. From the mouth, the person speaks, resulting in salvation. Wait a minute, what does that mean? That just means that out of the overflow of my heart, out of the overflow of what has happened to me, and what we saw in the baptisms last week, the overflow of what has happened in my heart comes out of my mouth. It is proof of my salvation. It doesn't cause my salvation. So the question we're asking today is, do you believe that we are sent on mission to make disciples? Here's what I'd ask you to do on the back here. Before we wrap up, and I'm going to go into a time of prayer, and I've asked the music team to come up now, and we're going to spend some time just continuing to respond in music and in prayer. On the back are those two questions I pointed out earlier. What is the Spirit telling you? Right now, what is the Spirit telling you? And then what is Jesus asking you to do about it? I'd ask you just to take a minute, and I'm going to close that time in prayer, and the music team will start up. To just ask right now, in the quietness of this place, Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. For if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For from the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and from the mouth... He confesses, resulting in salvation. Lord, I pray that as we invite you to search our hearts and point out things in our lives, that that it would be to the end that we wouldn't walk out of here the same way we walked in. That it would be to the end that we would look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. That it would be to the end that we would bring you more glory. That it would be to the end that we would share you with more people. Because Paul goes on to tell us that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Father, I pray that we would be a people who can't stop speaking about that which we've seen and heard. In Jesus' name, amen.